This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. think of kielbasa, kielbasa is a smoked sausage. There's a lot of smoking that goes on in those Eastern European cultures, and you know, those are always served with mustards. So it made a lot of sense to me to feature the house fermented sauerkrauts, and I think they play really well with barbecue, especially if you're doing barbecue in Cleveland. I mean, I love Texas barbecue, and I love all those different styles of barbecue, but I wanted to do a barbecue that really represented how I grew up. to Homemade, where we love to get the stories behind our favorite recipes. I'm Marty Duncan. Today, my guest is a nice Greek boy from the CLE with a lot of love for his hometown, his family, and his Cleveland Browns. You probably know him best and his famous laugh from The Chew, his Emmy Award-winning daytime talk show, which we all miss so much. Soft-shell crabs in the flour, fat is hot, and when you put soft-shell crabs in, be careful. There's some moisture in there. They pop a little bit. Drop them in. See him popping? Don't be scared. Bob and weave. He's an Iron Chef champion as well as an author. And during the lockdown, he has kept us not just entertained, but he has kept us sane through his online cooking videos. He really has found a place in our hearts. Y'all help me welcome Chef Michael Simon to Homemade. Thank you so much, Chef. Hi, Marty. How are you? Nice to see you. Nice to see you, too. Really see I wish I was in that warm weather with you. Look, I got a big old sweater on. It's not warm. It's cold here. Oh, what is it? Tell what, what When you say cold, what is well, it? Well, that's true. Uh, it's 42, maybe, and raining. 42? I'd be laying on the beach, 42. You know, I lived in Chicago for a long time, Chef, so trust me, I know. Oh, I you know. know. You know but I will say, yeah. the very first time I came to Cleveland, and the day I got there, it was like 40. And then woke up the next morning, there was snow on the ground, and it was like 12. Yeah. So that gave me like a real dose of reality, what Chicago used to be like. That's one thing I wanted to talk to you about. You love your town. You love your Browns. You love Cleveland. You're just a real hometown boy, just a regular old person who's proud of where you come from and loves everything about your city. Yeah, you know, I'm born and raised there. My parents still live there. Liz's parents still live there. Kyle was born there. And all my closest, dearest, longest friends are, I've had them since I've been five years old. So it'll always be home to me. You know, I'm in New York more than Cleveland these days because of work and other things, but Cleveland's always my home. So one big question I have to ask you, what's it like being a granddaddy? (laughs) Being a granddaddy is awesome. Abby's actually here today. She just is getting ready to take her little nap. Our son Kyle, it's his birthday today. So his wife, Krista's bringing them out to have a little bit of fun. And we took Emmy for the day. She'll sleep over tonight. So it's a treat. She's two now and she's a spitfire. I'll tell you that much. She's a lot of energy and moves at the speed of light. Like she is so fast, but she, she makes me melt. We were laughing about it the other day. Like, 
she's always with Lizzie, like cruising around and I'll be in the kitchen cooking. And all of a sudden I'll just like look over and just like tilt her head. She'll go, Hey, pop, pop. I wondered what she, I wondered like, what your granddaddy name was. So you're pop, pop. Yeah. Pop, pop. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. And it's just what she, like, I didn't really know what I wanted to be called, but she just pop, pop. It was so pop, pop. It is. Pop, pop. Oh, I love it. Well, listen, you're really known for being an iron chef and all of this over the top cooking you do, but really you're cooking all started at home and cooking at home is really what you love to do your mom was a great cook yeah your pap was a great cook and your grandmother tell me a little bit how you grew up and then how did that translate to you getting into the food business and becoming a chef my mother's greek and sicilian so obviously she loves food and loves to cook until i was in high school my mom stayed home. We had a home-cooked meal on the table every night. My yaya, her mom, is actually from Sicily. And then my papu, I never met. He passed when my mom was 12. So my papu got kicked out of the Greek community when he started dating a Sicilian woman. Oh, my. So she learned how to, she had an eighth grade education. She learned how to speak Greek and cook Greek. And then my papu, I guess the story is my papu invited all his friends over and my yaya cooked him this big Greek dinner for all his friends. And they accepted him back into the Greek community because she could speak Greek and cook Greek. So my mom, until her father passed away, was only allowed to speak Greek in the house until my grandfather passed away. So until she was 12, until my papu passed away. So she didn't even know she was Italian or Sicilian until after he had passed. I'd say growing up, for me, it was about 60-40 Greek to Sicilian food when my mom cooked. And then my dad is Eastern European, so my pap was Eastern European. So that's very Cleveland, too, that culture. Like, I, I spent my weekends with my grandparents because my father worked midnights at Ford Motor. So when I was at my pap's house, it was more the pierogi and the kielbasa and the pork cabbage stews and things like that. But during the week, it was all Greek and Sicilian food. So I grew up in a little bit of a melting pot family. Those three foods are really the foods that really stuck with me and really influenced the way I cook as a chef. Chef, I remember us talking one time about your pap's special recipe that he made that you still make. Is it, it's got a funny name. What's it called? Halushki or something like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Halushki. So it's cabbage and noodles. And yeah, exactly. Okay, so I, God, like, I was, I was yeah. afraid I was going to say it wrong. Halushki. No, like onions, paprika, noodles, you know, sometimes like he put bacon or ham in it. A lot of other families I saw that would have it, they would use like a store-bought wide noodle, almost to be like a pepperdale kind of noodle. Okay. But Pat used to make these, he called them spetzel, but they were bigger than spetzel. It was like a dumpling like this big. Okay. That you, he'd cut into the water. And then he'd fry those up with the onions and the butter and the paprika. And oh my gosh, so good. He'd put cabbage or sauerkraut in it sometimes. Right. Really, really delicious. Where can we find that recipe? I'm going to make that. We actually serve them. I got a lot of grief from it out of the gate, but then people understood it. When we opened Mabel's, our barbecue place, instead of doing mac and cheese, that was like my starchy side because I wanted to do this very Cleveland-centric barbecue that potato you got those jonathan waxen potatoes to this day i remember those they were fabulous <laughs> yeah it's like one of my delicious. favorite things yeah maples is a great barbecue place y'all get over there yeah it's really taken off it was kind of a little bit of a history lesson in cleveland and what i you know because like if you think of the eastern european food in the west side market 
a lot of it is really barbecue based, even though I think people don't intuitively think of that way. But like, if you think of kielbasa, kielbasa is a smoked sausage. And there's a lot of smoking that goes on in those Eastern European cultures. And, you know, those are always served with mustards. So it made a lot of sense to me to feature the house fermented sauerkrauts. And I think they play really well with barbecue, especially if you're doing barbecue in Cleveland. I mean, I love Texas barbecue and I love all those different styles of barbecue, but I wanted to do a barbecue that really represented how I grew up. That makes perfect sense. And everybody, when it opens back up and you get a chance to travel, y'all get out to Cleveland and support the restaurants there and go to the Rock Hall and do all of it. Okay, so we're still cooking at home. Thank you for all those cooking classes and shows on Instagram and on social media during the lockdown. Those like saved us, I think. They saved me too, Marty. I got to be honest with you. They're very therapeutic for me. I started working in restaurants when I was 13. So I've been cooking for people for 38 years. So when all the restaurants closed, I'm like, oh, what the hell do I do now? I don't know what to do. So like what I do, you know, I cook. That's what I do. So to do those classes, those daily dinners for people, people are grateful. But I'm telling you, mentally, it saved me too. I can only imagine because for me, you know, I don't cook every day in a restaurant like you guys, but I do a lot of food events and then a lot of other events too. And of course, just like restaurants, events were shut down. Yeah. And I'm like, what the heck am I going to do now? Yeah. <laughs> and luckily... We got the podcast and, you know, we had a lot of fun. Anyway, what was the number one dish of all those cooking dinners and Michael Simon dinners that you did during the lockdown? What was number one, the most favorite? Yeah, it was one of the things, I, one of Pap's things, I think. I think I did his dumplings. Oh, really? You know, his Spexel. I think that was the most downloaded one or one of them. You know, we did, we did 47 straight days and then we started doing a little bit more like weekly kind of thing. But... When we did the 47 straight days, I think we got close to 40 million views over those wow. days, which was like total. I mean, that's crazy numbers, though. It was incredible. And and I think a lot of it, you know, Food Network obviously got behind it and was very supportive, which was huge. I think we were one of the first people to do it. So it just it got a lot of attention and got a lot of traction early. Well, and you're Michael Simon. Let's face it. You're an iron chef. Uh, it's not like yeah, you were whatever. like Joe Blow cooking in his kitchen. Well, we got to cook along with an iron chef. When do you get to do that? I'm just an old bald guy who likes to cook. You're a uh, pop pop. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just all the pop pop who loves to cook. Well, listen, walk us through that recipe, if you don't mind, the one you were telling about, the one that was so popular. So it's similar to what we were talking about earlier. You make a dough, a pretty simple batter of eggs, flour, chives. It's a loose dough. You cut it into boiling salted water. And then in a pan, you get some butter going, add some sliced onions to it. You could do fresh cabbage or sauerkraut or even shaved Brussels sprouts. You add it in there a nice pinch of like a sweet smoky paprika and kind of let all that bloom and caramelize and break down together. And then you pull out those noodles, those dumplings, and you put them in the sauce, a little bit of pasta water in there. And then you could finish them just with a little bit of sour cream if you want, or you could dallop them with sour cream or swirl the sour cream in the sauce. And that's it. It's like as hearty as can be. If you have some ham, like a grilled ham steak would be delicious with it. A pork chop would be delicious with it. But really, it's delicious just by itself. I want to make that right now. That just sounds it's so, so easy. Good. And it's so it's so good. I made some yesterday. We've been playing around with a lot of my mom's like Greek stuff. And we made kind of like the Greek version of it, I guess right? you would say. We made a pasta dough. Essentially, we made like a cavatelli dough. But instead of using ricotta in it, we used Greek yogurt and made the same thing. We rolled them out in little dumplings and cooked them and did them almost like in a cacio pepe with cracked black pepper and butter and lemon zest and 
finished it with some Greek cheese. It was ooh, delicious. I had it for dinner yesterday. What is your favorite dish of your mom's that she cooked for you? Oh, but, you know, it's probably her lasagna. I mean, my mom's lasagna, we serve it. It's actually funny. At Angeline, our restaurant named after my mother at the Borgata in uh, Atlantic City, her lasagna is on the menu. And I mean, she's made it for me, with me, with cooks a million times. And and I think we have it. I would say about 90% there. It's never as good as, it'll never in my mind be as good as my mom's. But she has it and she thinks it's better than hers. So I, you know, I don't know what to think, but. It's the mother love. I mean, is. I have the same thing with my mother's recipes. I'm in her kitchen here with her pots, her pans, making the exact same thing she made. And it doesn't taste the same. My dad and I would say, it's not quite right. It's not quite right. No. Not quite the same. Well, when we opened Angelina to Borgata, the opening party my mom and dad they, they were nice enough to fly out my mom and dad to come to the like the grand opening because the restaurant was named after my mother and there was a lot of her recipes on there now my i think you did you meet my you met my mom and dad right oh, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 a couple so yes. you know my dad's six four and my mom's four ten you know so <laughs> tiny teeny, tiny tiny thing so i go out into the dining room i'm in the kitchen i go out in the dining room to make sure they're okay and, and i'm like dad where's mom and he's like oh she, she got up i think she went to the restroom we're waiting. We're waiting. I'm like, what the heck is she? So I like, I go and I look over by the bathroom. I don't see her. And I like go back to the kitchen. She has an apron on in her, you know, she's Greek and Sicilian. So she wears those big ass heels and she has her heels on. She's in the kitchen telling them they made the meatballs wrong. Now this is a 250 seat restaurant. I'm like, ma, what? And all these cooks are like, who is this? Like, what's going on? You know, like, and yeah, she's but like, they weren't going to say no. no, she's no like, they weren't going to say no. She's like, who made the meatballs? I'm like, Mom, you got to get out of the kitchen. And so I go back out. I'm like, Dad, you, you got to get Mom. We're, we're in the middle of feeding 300 people. And my mother's in the middle of the kitchen. She has completely shut down production. My dad's like, I'm not going. I'm not. You're going to have to deal with that. I'm not dealing with that. You know, it's like oh, he's gosh. six four, she's four ten. Everyone's scared to death of her. She is knows her business. Oh yeah, and when she's mad at me, she could like my in Greek. My name is Mihali, so I'm like, Mom, you got to get out of the kitchen. She grabs one spoon. She's like, Mihali, and I'm like, Oh boy, just do whatever. Do I'm whatever. in trouble. Yeah, just fix whatever she says. I'll, I'll, I'll go back somewhere else. Ah, <laughs> uh, so the, that lasagna is still on the menu. So lasagna is still on the menu. She loved the lasagna. Um, she stayed for an extra day to tweak the Help meatballs. Help them with the meatballs. <laughs> yeah. You're listening to Homemade. Stay tuned and I'll ask Michael his sage advice for the average home cook and whether or not he'll ever officially battle his best buddy, Bobby Flay. We'll be right back after the break. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Marty Duncan, and my guest today is Chef Michael Simon. You know, you have some great stories about your family, and that's really what the show's all about. We like to talk about family recipes, family traditions. I know that you are so close with your family that 
big holidays and things must be so special at your house. What's the one thing, though, that you have to have on your holiday table? Let's say we got Easter around the corner. We would always have a leg of lamb for Easter. Or like when I was younger, we would spit roast an entire lamb, like a, a whole lamb on the spit. Oh, wow. So sort of like the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Uh, oh, no, that 100%. That movie is like my dad is the guy in that movie. Her dad, yeah. Yeah, like when, when my parents, again, because the way my mom was raised, even though she was part Sicilian, she grew up in this huge Greek community and her mother, my guy, none of her siblings made it to America. So her whole family was my papu's family. And so my mom's side of the family was very into the Greek culture. So when she started dating my dad and they found out that he wasn't Greek, it was like, just like the movie. Just like the movie. Just like the movie. My dad tells a story, and my mom always says it's not true, but I think there is some truth to it. He's like, he goes, Michael, you don't understand. The day of our wedding, um, they wore black. <laughs> they, they were like... They, they were in mourning. Wedding. Oh, that's hysterical. <laughs> they were mourning, yeah. That is so funny. Yeah. I have all your cookbooks, love all your cookbooks, but I want to talk a bit about your Fix It With Food. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of our listeners, like me, probably struggle with inflammation. And I love that book. It helped me a lot. Can you tell me where it came from, how you thought about doing that, and what you've learned from doing it. So yeah, for me, it came out of necessity a little bit. I got diagnosed with RA and discoid lupus when I was about 24, 25. For a long time, I just, you know, I had a lot of aches and pains and didn't always feel great, but you're younger and you just kind of push through it and you're like, eh, whatever. And you know, as I got older, I don't know if it got more severe or my pain threshold went down or a little bit of both. It just, I started getting more and more achy. And in season, let's say four or five of the two, they decided that for New Year's, they wanted us to all, you know, network TV and live every day. They wanted us, all the hosts, to pick a diet and do a month of a diet. So I'm like, you know what? I, instead of doing like a book or this or that, I'm going to try to do an anti-inflammatory diet. So I did as much research as I could about anti-inflammatory eating. And I, I was basically a vegan for 30 days, which, as you you know, for me is like, that's as close to the doors of hell as I could possibly get. No, you know, that's like, right. <laughs> this, is, this is like as bad as it can get for me. And Liz, Liz was a vegan at the time. So no offense to vegans. I love vegans. I just yes. don't want to be one. You live with so, one, but I yeah, don't want to exactly. be one. Yeah. Right. So no dairy, no alcohol, no beef, no flour, no sugar. So basically no fun. <laughs> I put at the end of the 30 days, I was kind of angry in the sense of like, I just want to eat what I want to eat. Yeah. But all of a sudden, all my aches and pains were gone. I was like, oh God, please don't tell me I had to eat like this the rest of my life. So then as I started to talk to more people with inflammation issues, I started to realize that everyone's triggers are a little bit different. So I started introducing things back in a little bit at a time. So like I introduced flour back. I'm like, oh, okay. I still feel fine. I, let me rephrase that. When I cooked with flowers that hadn't been bleached or bromated, I felt fine. Okay. I added red meat back. I felt fine. I'm like, oh, the gods love me still. Thank God. Then I added sugar back. Felt terrible mm. the next day. That's me too. Yep. The sugar is my enemy. And I have a giant sugar addiction. Yeah. I mean, we all do. It's like it's addicting as addicting could be. And okay. So I went off the sugar and then I added dairy back. Dairy also affected me. So then I'm like, okay, dairy and sugar are my 
triggers. And as I started learning even more about those things, I realized that like if it's refined sugar, I have a problem. If it's honey or maple or things like that, no problem. Dairy, a giant glass of milk or a bowl of ice cream, problems, you know, but if it's like a harder cheese, like a, a Parmigiano Reggiano, very little problems. So some of the harder cheeses, they don't affect me as much. So would you say to people, if you do something like this, it's a good idea to kind of go cold turkey and then get yourself to a level and then start reintroducing so you can find your triggers? Yep. I think that's the way to do it. Like the way we set the book up is you get a 10 day reset where you kind of get everything out and then you add things back in and you find out what your triggers are. And then we have recipes throughout the book that allow you to cook without your triggers. And you know what the thing is too, Marty, is for me, a lot of it was identifying it. Look, I'm a chef. I got to eat different things. And also, I'm never going to be one of those people, you know, it's like my favorite Julia Childs quote, everything in moderation, including moderation. Right. If I'm out with my granddaughter and she wants ice cream, I'm going to get a bowl of ice cream. Sure. But at least now I know when I feel like garbage the next day, it's the ice cream. That's what caused it. Well, we loved Iron Chef. What was your most intimidating battle on Iron Chef? Hooey, my most intimidating battle. There's a couple answers, I guess. With Iron Chef, when the item was like a protein, I always felt it was as easy as could be because it's like to make that the star of the dish, not a problem. The ones that were harder were like basil. Because like, okay, how do I make basil the star of five dishes? And one being a dessert, too. Right, yeah, without it overpowering everything. But I would say that there were a couple that were my most fun. One was John Frazier let his sous chefs go home. And so then I kicked my sous chefs off, and we went one-on-one for that hour without any help. That was a lot of fun. That was battle cauliflower. I thumped him, which was very exciting. My other one that I really loved, and it was I, I was fortunate, I didn't lose often, but one of my dearest friends in the food business, Mark Vetri, I lost to Mark, but I could honestly say, even though I lost, it was as much fun as I've ever had doing an Iron Chef, because you're cooking against one of your best friends, and when I lost, I, I wasn't even, I'm very, as you know, I'm very competitive. <laughs> you're very competitive. It was like one of the few times in my life when I lost, and I was just like, you know what, I was so happy for Mark, I, I didn't care. Which brings me to a question. You and Bobby, your BFF Bobby Flay, y'all have never battled on anything, have you? We refused to. We kind of said we would never do it. We compete so much in everything else in life, like in golf, in tiddlywinks, in everything. We're like, eh, you know what? Now, we do do a show together called, what the heck's it called? Barbecue Brawl. I had a brain fart. So we kind of compete on that, but we're, we're competing more as mentors. We like pick a team and then my team goes against his team. So it's not like a head to head cooking. One on one. Would you smoke him though? I mean, would you absolutely smoke him? Come on. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I think, I think a lot of it would be, quite frankly, it would really depend on, for, with Bobby and I, like, he's such a tremendous chef. and But the worst loser. <laughs> He's the worst loser. We, I don't care what it is. Like your tiddlywinks. Bobby don't want to lose at anything. I got to tell you, he actually still owes me money for golf. So, but, um. Uh, Bobby, you hear that? Yeah, so. Pay up. He's got to pay up. But I think it would, if him and I went head to head, who would win would be so ingredient driven. Right. Like if it was chilies, he'd beat me. Oh, yeah, for sure. If it was a whole hog, I'd beat him, you know? So I, I just think a lot of it would depend on what the ingredient was. Well, I tell you one thing I loved about you was on Iron Chef, you come out and you got your arms crossed, you're all mad looking and pissed off and like, I'm 
killing people here and then on the chew you laugh like a girl like well, a I know. girl it's, it's, it's so i'm funny. like oh my god is that the same guy well, that so laugh is so I'm fabulous i i miss it in the mornings it would make me happy in the morning but it was so funny on iron chef i mean you know me in real life so it's like in real life, I'm just always kind of laughing and having a good time, yes. and we're having fun, you know. And on Iron Chef, they would be like, "You need to be more serious." I'm like, "Why can't I just laugh?" I said, "I'm perfectly comfortable kicking someone's ass and laughing." So yes. just let, let me, me do, do it. it. How I want to do it. Right? Yeah, but I love they coming all gruff looking and pissed off. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You had to do the mean stare with the knife. I'm like, God, oh, he looks kind of mad. And then <laughs> on the chief, like laugh all the time. I'm like, okay. That, and that's just before I really knew who you were and right. met you in person a few times. And so I, I thought, God, he's really fun. All right. I want to bring up and have you talk about your mother-in-law. You told a great story when you came down to Alabama and you came to the oyster cook-off and I did not know your mother-in-law was Southern. So I want to hear this story about your mother-in-law again. And I want you to talk <laughs> to me about the biscuits. All right. So Liz's mom is from Dalton, Georgia. And just the sweetest woman, Sherla. So when Liz and I started dating and then I got to know her parents better, I'm like, oh, you know, let's have your parents over for brunch. I knew that Liz's mom was from the South. And so I'm like, this is my moment. You know, I'm a, I'm a chef. I press her mom, cook up a little storm. So I make breakfast and I make biscuits. And, and her mom like was always so sweet to me, always. And I see her like kind of moving the biscuits and playing with the biscuits. And she was the first like someone from the South that I really got to know very well, obviously. And so, you know, she gave me a bless your heart, which I thought meant, oh my gosh, she loves me. Bless your heart. Like that's the <laughs> nicest thing anybody's ever said to me. And then I realized what it meant was she hates these biscuits. Well, no, what she meant was, <laughs> and there's two ways to take bless your heart, you know, one of them can mean, oh my God, you stupid idiot. And the other one is really like, oh, you poor thing, you just don't know better. I think that's what it was. You that's poor what thing, you don't know better. But shortly after that, I went over to Shirley's house and Russ's house and got a biscuit class. And I'd like to say my, my biscuits still aren't as good as Shirley's or Liz's. Liz makes them pretty much every, on Sundays, I meet one of my buddies. We take the dogs for a walk gone for a couple hours and almost every Sunday when I come home Liz has biscuits coming out of the oven so Liz makes biscuits every bit as good as or I would say 95% as good as Sherla's they're both much better biscuit makers than I am I, I think my hands are too hot I think I have hot hands well that can be a problem for sure yeah Gotta keep that butter cold exactly I'm blaming it on the hot hands <laughs> yeah that's a good yes yeah, so I can't make biscuits my hands are too hot yeah but I did get a good biscuit class and I under like I could I could make a very solid biscuit okay give us Sherla's secret for great biscuits what did she tell you she freezes the butter and grates it in my dad did that too yes I think that's one of the tricks and here's another trick that this is a Liz addition okay later on is Liz doesn't use buttermilk in her biscuits what she uses no I and this is I know you're this is gonna anger the southern part of you what's the it's not yogurt, but the yogurt milk, the uh, kefir. Kefir, yeah. Liz uses that instead of buttermilk. Like, I'm Southern. I don't know about yogurt. I know. that It gives it a little bit more of a lift. Really? And they have a touch more sourness to them. I'm not going to say they're better, but they're really, really tasty. I imagine that it would have like that little snap of yeah. tart 
tangy. It could be quite nice. Yeah, like, I mean, like, think of the difference of taste between, like, yogurt, Greek yogurt, and buttermilk. Right. So, I mean, that's kind of the difference. But they, they to me, they feel a little fluffier. Oh, wow. Would you ask Liz to send me that recipe? I will. I, I told Carla Hall about it once, and she kind of shook me off, so... <laughs> Yeah, so tell Lizzie, I want to know that. I want to try it. I want to try them all. <laughs> all right, so what is your biggest tip or your best advice for the home cook? Best advice for the home cook I, be a couple things. Don't be afraid of salt. I feel that home cooks like are very afraid of salt. Now, obviously, if you have health issues and you're refraining from salt, then refrain from salt. But most people... They just under-season everything. And not only do they under-season, it's when they season. Like, you have to season in the beginning of the procedure. To Salt brings out the flavors of food. So if you wait to the end and then try to throw in salt, you end up with food that's salty. If you season it as you go, you end up with food that has a nice round flavor. That would be my first tip. My other tip would be whether you're cooking on a grill or cooking on a pan or cooking on everything – Quit moving the food around so much. People just put a protein in a pan and then they they start doing like the dance and they got to move everything. Just let the pan or the grill do the work. Let the meat caramelize. Then it'll naturally release itself and you could flip it and you're off to the races. I think that's so spot on, spot on, spot on, right. Both of those things. And I've heard them from a lot of people. Amberell, you know, she does worse cooks and she's told the same thing. She's got like, people just don't touch it. Stop. Leave it be, yeah, you know, let it, brown. Right. Don't let it brown. And don't overcrowd the pan. Don't shove everything in because, okay. So that's one thing. What's your number one go-to piece of cooking equipment or tool that you think that every home kitchen should oh, have? You know what? I'm sitting at my island right now. And I would say... Two things, a bench scraper. Okay, love those. And there's all kinds of, this is actually a fancy one for me. I usually just have the cheap kitchen plastic ones. Um, and a, a rasp. Yes. Like a, a microplane. Microplane, rasp. yes. Those are two things that I probably use Every constantly day. in the Every kitchen. And, you know, and then you need a good chef knife. Of but, course. But I would say like for things that people don't have that won't cost you an arm or a leg, could go online and order a plastic bench scraper probably for two bucks. Like I usually order like a dozen of them and you could get a rasp for, you know, what, 15 bucks. So th those are two things that you don't have to spend an arm and a leg on that are really going to be beneficial for you in the kitchen. Well, I use that microplane every single day for something. Oh yeah, cheese, great spices. I mean, it's endless. You could just do lemon zest, orange zest, lime zest. It's like you use it for everything. Listen, chef, I just want to say you've been a joy, a pleasure. You're such a good friend to do this for me. I know our listeners are going to love it. Is there anything you want to talk about that we didn't touch on? One thing that I think this whole year so far has taught everybody is, you know, it, it gave everybody a second to kind of step back and reassess and refocus and everyone's so busy all the time it, it made us realize how good everything was and time with family that we were missing right i mean we were just you know run 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 right this that thing another thing and then you know well, this year we're like hey this is kind of cool yeah 100 percent. the house with the family yep. and have you know this time that's thing you can't get back and I think that was something that I had really just sort of taken for granted is that we would always have time. Yeah, we always do. Yeah. Yeah. And this has taught me, if anything, don't take anything for granted. Don't take anything for granted. Yeah. Well, Chef Michael Simon, thank you. Pop, pop. Thank you. 
so much for coming on this episode of Homemade. We love talking to you. We feel like we know you. We feel like we're in your house with you and with Lizzie and Norman. But really, I think we got to know you a little bit better today. So thank you so much for being on Homemade. Thanks, Marty. Hope to see you soon. Bye, guys. I always love catching up with Michael Simon. You can keep up with him on his website, michaelsimon.com, YouTube, or tune into his Instagram for Simon Dinners. Coming up next on Homemade, we'll have a special episode dedicated to the one and only Julia Child. We'll hear from Jacques Pepin, Sarah Moulton, Dory Greenspan, and others who knew her best, and from many of the chefs who feel she was one of the greatest influences on their career. The thing that Julia understood besides teaching people about how to make French cuisine is how to enjoy life and culture the way the French did, and how to dine. That it's not just about feeding yourself, it's about everything else that goes with it. You won't want to miss this one, so please subscribe to the podcast right now. And if you have a minute, I'd love it if you would rate the podcast and leave us a review. I'd really appreciate it. And don't forget, you can find thousands of recipes, meal ideas, and cooking how-tos from the world's largest community of cooks at allrecipes.com. This podcast was recorded in Birmingham, edited in Atlanta, and can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Homemade is produced by All Recipes with digital content director Jason Burnett. Thanks to our Pod People production team, Rachel King, Matt Sav, Danielle Roth, Jim Hankey, Maya Croft, and Erica Wong. I'm Marty Duncan, and this is Homemade.